Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. It's Thursday, October 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good. We got earnings season heating up. We do. It's we starting. do. We love this. this we is our, do. This is our favorite time of year. You know what else we love? And Chris? it comes four times a year. Doesn't matter what time of the evening. We love a Red Sox win. You know that game went a little late last night, and it was a heck of a game. I mean, all of it, back and forth. Pretty amazing. Uh, stuff. It would not surprise me if someone uh, in the greater Boston area, or for that matter, in New England. Uh, ended up in the hospital with heart palpitations <laughs> with, the, with the way these yeah. games are going. Yep. Um, we're going to talk Visa. We've got another activist fight brewing. Let's start with your former employer, and that's Travelers. Uh, Travelers' third quarter profit and revenue came in higher than expected. It, you clearly know this company much better than I do, <laughs> but on on paper. On the surface, this looks like a really good quarter, and this looks like the most important numbers are moving in the right direction for them. Which leads me to ask, why is this stock down today, and why is it basically flat for the year? Well, I think any any anybody it's anybody's guess as to what why a stock moves on any given day, and you hear that buy the rumor, sell the news, and whatever. I mean, you know, the stock stock market I think is generally taking a beating today anyway. But to your point, I think that you know when you go through this release, clearly, I mean, it was a good quarter on all fronts. Now, perhaps the market is thinking a little bit forward. And perhaps the catastrophic losses that might come from Michael and and anything else that may come down the pike. But uh, I mean, when I you know man, when I came to the fool from Travelers back in 2010, Traveler shares were around fifty dollars, and today we're seeing them trade around one hundred twenty-five dollars, up about one hundred fifty percent. And it actually, I think, had hit a recent high of one hundred fifty dollars. So I, I just like to feel like I left the company in a good place. I mean, so <laughs> you guys are welcome. I mean, just I miss you, but you know, hey. Um, but but in all seriousness, you know, I often wonder um, in all of my time here, and, and I, I have shot this across the radar before early on in my days here. I don't understand why this is a business that's never been in one of our services. To be frank, I mean, I because it is a very good business. We seem to like insurers here. I mean, obviously, we latch on to Berkshire Hathaway and Markel, and I think Progressive is is a company that uh, gets gets bandied about here from time to time. And, and Travelers, to me. Uh, is a it's a just it's a good operator. I can tell you from my time working there, they were very focused on uh, keeping the business. Not it it was it was less about conservatism. It was more about let's go ahead and pay what we owe, minimize the cost on the claim side, avoid subrogation. At all costs, whether it's on the auto side or the home side or whatever, but but it was just the general mentality there was: let's pay what we owe and let's keep this business moving forward and do right by our customers. And so I think the benefit the benefit there is that they maintain a pretty loyal customer base. And now we're seeing them partnering up with Amazon, which I think is really fascinating because. I don't know that I would look for Amazon to get in the insurance game. I don't know what they could do to to be better at insurance than anyone else, other than maybe giving you insurance for for a lower price and maybe 
covering more. But I mean, insurance is a pretty pretty difficult uh, balance there. I don't suspect I'd see Amazon getting into that. But to partner up with something like Travelers, uh, to me, is is fascinating. So you mentioned Markel, and Markel is uh, from a business standpoint, and just. Uh, uh, certainly from a stock perspective, but also from a business perspective, it's an interesting business. They get into specialty insurance, um, and some of it gets pretty esoteric. Um, do you think, maybe in a small way, what works against travelers is there isn't anything particularly sexy about that? Like, they're a good, that's how I think about travelers. They're a good operator, they're steady Eddie, there's nothing particularly exciting about them. Yeah, I think the red umbrella is probably <laughs> the sexiest thing about the business. I mean, and let's be clear, I'm not really saying that that ought to get your motor running either. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I think your point is is spot on. It is a very boring business. I mean, they are a they're an insurer. And um, they're they're not doing anything terribly special. Their investment portfolio is primarily fixed income, um, but but they do a very good job, I think, of writing a strong book of of doing right by their customers, and that keeps those net premiums coming. And net premiums, which which is a good way to to gauge the growth of the business, we're up six percent for the quarter, which is good. Um, I, I think it's always interesting. We look at consolidate or we look at combined ratios to get a better idea of how they're writing those premiums and and so they offer up a uh, they offer up the combined ratio but then they offer up what they call the underlying combined ratio the underlying is essentially excluding catastrophic losses because those are a little bit more difficult to time and understand um, last year their combined ratio was a little bit over 103%, which that's that's not good we want to see that number below 100% combined ratio um, this year was was ninety six point six percent in an underlying combined ratio of ninety three percent. So that's all to say they're writing good business. And I think that when you have a a company like Travelers that continues to write good business, the business is in great financial shape. Uh, you you get what we've seen here, just a nice steady eddy boring business. But if you've bought and held shares of this company over the past decade, you're feeling really good about that. And, and frankly, I just think there's more of that to come. Visa reports. Their latest quarter next week, but in the news today because Visa is hiking their quarterly dividend nearly 20%, which sounds great until you look at the actual number and it's going yeah. from 21 cents a share to 25 cents a share. Hey, look, it's a it's a boost. I'm sure the Visa shareholders are happy about that. Does this tell you anything about what we should expect next week? Just because I I look at Visa, I, look, it's a monster business. It's a 300. Thirty billion dollar company, they've got the cash to hike their dividend. But I just, I don't know. In a weird way, this move raises more questions than answers for me because I look at this and I think, well, wait a minute, why aren't you hiking it more? What else could you be doing with that money? What if anything does this tell you? No, I mean I think you you hit the nail on the head there. It actually makes you start asking a few more questions and digging in a little bit deeper. And once you dig in a little bit deeper, I think you come away from that thinking, you know, what the hell? Why aren't these guys paying me a a bigger dividend or something? I mean, there's some pretty interesting numbers behind here. I mean, I'm always one happy to see the dividends of the shares that I own go up. Okay, and I'm a Visa shareholder. I never am going to turn that down. But but with that said, I think Visa, and I'm not going to just pick on them because Mastercard is essentially 
the same here. I mean, they're, they're kind of in the same boat. They're, I don't think they're doing enough on the dividend side, and, and the numbers really do bear that out, particularly when you consider the models generate these net margins regularly of 40% and higher. They just generate buckets of cash. They have strong balance sheets, very reliable competitive positions there. So, um, when you look at the numbers alone, from 2013 through 2017, Visa spent $26.7 billion on share repurchases. And that share count's come down, so that's good, right? That helps kind of juice that earnings per share number because it brings down that that uh, that share count. And these companies are always going to be really valued on that EPS multiple. So, $26.7 billion in share repurchases. Over that same stretch, they spent just under $6 billion on dividends. So, considerably more of their capital is going to repurchase as opposed to dividends. And I don't know that you would ever really argue one of these businesses to be cheap. I mean, these are leaders in their space. And much like companies like Home Depot or McCormick, you rarely see them on sale. And so, then you start asking yourself, well, really, what would you rather have? Would you rather have them bringing that share count down or, or give me the cash in the pocket? I mean, I think I'd rather take, I mean, give me both, right? But, <laughs> but perhaps you could juice the dividend a little bit more because those yields are still only like half a percent. Um, so, I mean, the flip side of that is as a shareholder, I think we get to look forward to many dividend races to come in the future. I plan on holding these shares indefinitely. Uh, but, but you know, as you said, it creates a lot of questions and you come away scratching your head. Well, and also when we've seen the innovation with companies like PayPal and Square, one of my questions when I was looking over their financials this morning was, why aren't they taking a run at one of those companies? Maybe not PayPal. And I'm not saying necessarily, why aren't they going out, sitting down with Jack Dorsey and saying, okay, Jack, we're 11 times the size of Square. We'd like to bring you in house. How do we make this happen? I'm not saying that, but when I see nothing but share buybacks and dividend hikes, meager as they are, I sort of ding companies a little bit. Maybe that's unfair, but I just sort of look at that and go, okay, those are your two best ideas when it comes to capital allocation. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably is pretty fair. I mean, you know, Matt Franklin, I've talked about this on Industry Focus before, where we look at companies like Visa and MasterCard, compare them to PayPal and Square. And you know the neat thing about businesses like PayPal and Square. Remember, PayPal has Venmo, it has Zoom, so it has a number of brands under that umbrella. These are businesses that were very much built based on mobile technology and in technology of today. Whereas Visa and Mastercard have been around for a long time, essentially just operate that toll booth, and so. I think that those two bigger businesses have suffered a little bit from this move towards technology, and and so they they've had to figure out ways to partner up with companies like PayPal and and Square and and find a new position in that value chain, so to speak, so that you can fund your PayPal account with your Visa card that's linked to your checking account, or whatever it may be. So, Visa and MasterCard still get to play in that sandbox, but they do maintain perhaps a little bit of a diminished role from before. PayPal is such a big company now, I mean, it's around a $100 billion market cap, I think technically still bigger than American Express even today. Square, I think, is headed down that same path. So, for Visa and or MasterCard, to talk about an acquisition is going to cost an arm and a leg. Plus, I don't think those businesses are interested. And you probably have some antitrust questions as well. But I think they're going to continue to figure out ways to partner up with businesses like those to maintain 
a position in that value chain, so they get something because something is ultimately better than nothing. Quick shout out to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Contrary to the rumors that are spreading all across America, this is not some one size fits all software. I've heard the rumors, you've heard the rumors. That's not what this is. With industry specific support for a broad range of business, NetSuite works the way that your business works. Thousands of the best known brands and fastest growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you the power of the world's most popular cloud management system more affordable than you think. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back. And you can get those insights for free. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desk or phone. So, get the free guide entitled, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, by going to netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool. We've got a fight going on at Campbell's Soup. And frankly, Campbell's Soup has never been more interesting. Dan Loeb from Third Point, activist investor that we've talked about from time to time, probably best known in the recent past for the stake in Darden restaurants and coming out with the note that Olive Garden needs to stop giving away so many breadsticks. Was he also the one who was responsible for salting the pasta water? I think that would because yeah. let's be clear, that's a good observation. I mean, yeah. if you're not salting that water, we got problems. I mean, here's the thing: Loeb people, myself included, have poked fun at Dan Loeb <laughs> in the past for various reasons. But you go back and look at that uh, Olive Garden uh, literature; he was right about a lot of things. Yes. Um, so now it's Campbell's Soup. Loeb and Third Point have nearly a seven percent stake in Campbell's Soup. Uh, the annual meeting for the company is November 29th. Loeb is, is looking for no less than trying to replace all 12 members of the board of directors. Uh, all at once. All at once. <laughs> clean house. In one fell swoop and uh, no shrinking violet. Um, he put together, a, he and his team put together a video just mocking Campbell's soup. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I haven't clicked on it yet. Um, but it's. As I said, Campbell's Soup has never been more interesting. And it's and you look at how challenged packaged food is. This is one of those things where I'm not rushing out to buy Campbell's Soup, but I could see a bunch of people looking at Loeb's track record, which has, sure, it has some negatives. Every investor has negatives in their track record, but he's got some positives. And I could see people looking at this saying, Oh, maybe I'll take a whack at this. Maybe he can. He can. Maybe he doesn't replace all twelve, but he agitates. He gets a few spots on the board, and they can boost this thing because it's it's a really troubled business right now. It is, and it sounds like he's going to have probably a lot of trouble doing that because from what I've seen, it's, it's it sounds that most of the family-owned stake of the business is still against what he's trying to do. But I mean, to your point about that video, I didn't watch the video. I saw. Uh, part one line that he threw in there, which is <laughs> just it made me laugh because he's just really playing this up. It's kind of Hollywood. He's like, it's time to empty the can, refresh the recipe, and restore shareholder value. And it's like that's his that's his threat level midnight moment, right? It's cleanup on aisle five. <laughs> I, I feel like he's just really resorting to not hyperbole, but just taking it maybe a little over the top. Because here's the thing, I, I don't know that... Let's assume that he gets control of this business. What do you do? I, because I don't know that it's so plainly obvious, right? I mean, they've been more or less passed in a lot of ways by this 
newfangled sort of packaged food environment that's out there. A lot of brands out there that resonate with younger consumers now, uh, and Campbell isn't necessarily one of them. I think they did make that big Lance uh, Snyder's uh, Lance deal. I think last year it was, and I think that actually resulted to carry about four and a half billion dollars in goodwill on their balance sheet. A lot of it came from that, but that represents like a third of the of the company's total assets. So, to me, I mean, they're clearly challenged on the revenue side. The answer is not just as simple as, well, we're going to do this, this, and this. I mean, it empty the can, refresh the recipe, and restore shareholder. What does that mean? It, it just that doesn't mean anything, right? That's not a plan. That's just a, a bromide, so to speak. But uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's getting in there and trying to uh, shake things up. I understand that. I appreciate it. Oftentimes, we see folks like this who perhaps are a little overconfident, maybe think they know a little bit more than they do. Um, I'm not a shareholder in Campbell. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a shareholder in Campbell, and this does not make me want to be a shareholder in Campbell. Well, and when you look back at what he did with Darden Restaurants, the parent company of Olive Garden, you could look at that and say, all right, operationally, there are some changes that can be made. In the case of turning around Campbell Soup, I don't see how that happens without for lack of a better term, financial engineering. I don't. I don't see how you turn around Campbell Soup unless you make some significant changes to the cost structure of the business. It could be something like a Sears story here, right? I mean, you, you just maybe the answer is maybe the answer doesn't really exist. I mean, perhaps it is just uh, whittling down the business and focusing on what really makes money. I, I do appreciate his perspective that former leadership was overpaid and didn't deliver. I think that's spot on. Um, but but I think that part of the problem is that just the, the solution isn't so easy and and we've talked talked about it all all the time here on on the show I mean it, that is a tough line of work uh, because ultimately you really do have to focus on offering uh, very low cost goods right I mean you don't really maintain a lot of pricing power in in this realm um, and and. The Snyder's Lance acquisition—I mean, that is right up my alley. I mean, you're talking about chips and pretzels and peanuts and all that stuff, and that's man, I love it. But that—that also is something that doesn't necessarily hold the same weight as it does. So then you look at something like a PepsiCo, which has really been able to benefit not only from the salty snack side but the beverage side as well. And I think that ultimately is what this all boils down to: is consolidation in this space in one in one shape or form. And I and I think that Campbell probably. Is headed down that road, and you know, at some point or another here. But I don't, I don't know that Loeb is going to have his way ultimately here because it sounds like the votes may be stacked against him. And to go back to something you said before and something I said before, before when you were talking about activist investors, sometimes feel like if they've had some success, they feel like they know a little bit more than they actually do. Um, Tie that to Campbell Soup. Never been more interesting than it is right now, (laughs) and yet. I just want to caution the dozens of listeners. You and I were talking about this earlier this morning. One of the ripple effects of the bull market that we've had is that people like Dan Loeb, people like Bill Ackman, who we talked about recently with his investment in Starbucks, activist investors and hedge fund managers who have done well in this bull market have more money to throw around. And so it's one more reason. For investors to do a little bit more homework, um, I, I saw a note this morning about uh, a private company hiring Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase to handle their IPO. And one of the lines in the story was, "One of the investors in this company—it's a company called Beyond Meat—and oh, I read about that. And, yeah. and one of the investors is Bill Gates. 
And you could see an investor out there saying, "Oh, well, Gates is investing. Maybe I should take a look at it." Well, take a close look at it because <laughs> Bill Gates has all the money in the world. Yep. And this is a rounding error for him in terms of his investments. And it's the same thing with Loeb and Bill Ackman and other activist investors. As they do well, they have more money to throw around, more opportunities to try and turn companies around, and not all of them are going to work. No, they they don't. And I mean, they they have. The ability to take on more risk, and I can guarantee you that their their money isn't as important to them as yours is to you, because they have a lot more of it. Okay, and so that's that's the first thing I always think about when I look at what these people are doing. They're, they're smart situ- people. They're situational money, right? In this they're case, situational it's like, money. It's exactly. like whatever Bill Gates invested in Beyond Meat is pocket change to him. Exactly. In in, in most. Individual investors like us, we we don't have that sort of pocket change, and so for me, I, I find it always interesting to see where people have their have their uh, heads at, so to speak. But but yeah, I I think it's it's a good reminder to not just jump in blindly uh, and follow what other people are doing, because it's not to say that Loeb and Agman and all these guys aren't smart smart folks. They are. They're very smart guys. I mean, it's. No argument there. Um, it's this is not about intelligence. This is about, like you said, having more money to to invest in more things. And so when you have that situation, you can take some more risks, and maybe you throw your money at ten different investments. And the hope is that one of them ends off paying off, ends up paying off. Um, and so I, I think that's just always a good reminder for individual investors like us to just don't look to these activists as a point of optimism. It's interesting. Learn from it, but but be very careful before you decide to go following uh, their footsteps. Fun to talk about, though. Yes, always, always. Uh, before we wrap up, just want to say uh, happy birthday to my big sister. Hey, um, uh, she listens to Market Foolery in the morning, so uh, Friday Friday is her birthday. Well, so, happy uh, birthday! Uh, and so she'll be listening. So uh, I love you, sis. Thanks, JMO. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.